In this podcast, I sat down with Corporal Rusty Hicks. We discuss all things firearms. This is part one of two. I hope you enjoy. you go ahead and tell me about yourself. Uh, my name is Rusty Hicks. I am a National Guardsman. I've been in for seven years now. Uh, here soon I'll be getting my stripes. I grew up out here in Indiana. Out in BFE pretty much. Uh, hunting, fishing, grew up around farmers, everything else. Uh, so you can say firearms have been part of my life for most of my life as well as my adult life with being in the military. Um, a lot of family members who have police or SWAT, um, a lot of friends who have been police officers in SWAT as well. 27 years old, and I work construction on the civilian side. What's your uh, rank in the National Guard? Uh, right now, Corporal, but hopefully uh, by November I'll have my sergeant stripes. Was there anybody certain that sort of like special that got you into guns? I mean, my adopted father, he had guns far back as I can remember, to be honest. Uh, I mean, heck, some of my earliest memories, he hated groundhogs because they tore up his barns, they tore up the yard. So mm -hmm. there's times I'd been getting off the bus, be getting ready to take food out to the dog out back and see him walking around the side of the driveway with a shotgun to shoot a groundhog. So, you know, I mean. Good old country boy. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, yeah that's, that makes sense. You know, I think that we have seen within this new presidential administration, a spike in shootings at, at a really, really rapid rate, you know, and I have often wondered if the lockdowns that this entire world just went through has anything to do with that. Because you're getting people who, you know, we don't exactly know the mental health of everybody that was in lockdown. And when you're locked down like that, you can't really talk to nobody. You can't physically be in the same room as somebody you know, we're social creatures. That's going to fuck you up. And I think that these frustrations, the motive is, for some of them, seems to be unclear. But especially with this recent one that just happened in Indiana, because he killed himself, which is very common with shooters anyway. But how, you know, I would be, you know, we'll never know, but I bet you the lockdowns probably had something to do with that. Because, you I mean, you got to admit, you're getting a bunch of people who have nothing to do with but think. You know, and yet when you're mental like that, you just don't know what your mind's going to do or what you decide to do when you're finally allowed to go out, you know. And if you're just a little bit, even just a little bit psychotic and you're extremely frustrated, it's hard telling what you're going to, because you're going to be unpredictable. Your mind is a dangerous place to be trapped in. It's a prison. It, it, it can be a prison, but it can also be um, an extremely happy place too. Yeah. I mean, it really just depends on what your mindset is on life or what um, possible mental disorders. I use that term loosely, but mm -hmm. mental disorders that you could have, whether it's bipolar, depression. Um, well, and there's the a broad range. Of, yeah. Well, and there's also that broad range of different psychotic illnesses too. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's. I'm not going to say that that recent shooter here in Indiana was psychotic, 
but there's a good chance that he may have had a break in reality of, you know, you just, we just, it's unfortunate because we won't know. Unless his family was to come out and start, you know, kind of give a background. I mean, we know he had issues. I seen not long after the shooting that he was able to get a hold of two semi-auto weapons, even though there was worry over his mental state. Well, let's... It, if... If I'm correct, I do believe he had had a weapon confiscated from him in the past. I believe it was pistol, a pistol that he had confiscated. Okay, so whether it was um, county police or FBI, whoever confiscated the weapon, there there should have been a red flag raised on his name for any um, future purchases of a firearm. Yeah, for that something fact. was missed, and unfortunately, and this is something, this is a pattern that I have noticed is when you have these mass shootings... I mean, you get a red flag if you were um, charged with selling pot at mm-hmm. the age of 18 years yeah. old because you grew up in and, yeah. a neighborhood that that was the thing to do, you know, and then you did your time and you come out. Well, it's really hard for you to go buy a firearm now because every time you do that, it's going to pop up that you were a drug dealer, yeah. even if it and, was just pot. Well, and see, but, that, there's a lot of debate around people right now, too, that I've heard, and I don't really know where I stand on this quite yet. Um, of whether or not certain felons, former felons, should be able to own firearms. Well, um, my uh, my biological father has a felony. We're not going to go into uh, what it was or why, but he does have a felony. And uh, his lawyer, who's still a lawyer, um, his lawyer at the time that he actually got uh, prosecuted and locked up was quite a bit younger than him. Mm-hmm. So he's still alive today. Um, they still talk and whatnot. Uh, asked him if he wanted to go back through the courts because it had been so long that he could actually get his rights back. Yeah. Back. Um, and, and I think there are some stipulations going there, depending on the crime, depending, you know, <laughs> was the crime that you got locked up for using a firearm? Yeah, you know, or any type of violent crime. You know, it, it, and I think it just, if you get locked up for a DUI, you know, you have two or three DUIs, whatever. You go out, you get sober, you come out, you're a productive member of society, you're doing the right things and everything else. It, it's in the Constitution for a reason. Yeah. You know, as long as you've proven yourself that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm good, I'm stable, I'm back on track, I'm where I need to be. You know, unless you killed someone or injured someone with said weapon, you know, a firearm of some sort, there should be no reason that you can't go back through the systems. You know, yes, there should be a checklist that you have to go through in order to gain that right. And at the least a mental evaluation. Yeah. And, yeah, especially for any type of violent crime or nonviolent crime that you spend, you know, so many years in prison for, there should be a mental evaluation. Um, but as far as, like... You know, me or you off the streets, you know, when, when you purchase a weapon, and not a lot of people know this, and it's beyond me that a lot of people that I've talked to that actually don't understand the process of purchasing a firearm. You cannot purchase a firearm if your residential address doesn't match the address on your driver's license. You will be flagged. Well, and that's, that's one of those things, too, is that on some level they're trying to avoid purchasing a weapon fraudulently. Exactly. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of different questions you have to answer. I mean, if you're a legal immigrant 
but you don't have a social security number yet, you enter your immigration number or whatever that, mm. I forget what it's called. I've read it a million times, but um, you enter that number and they can still go back through the database and see anything you've done in prior countries that you've lived in. Yep. I mean, this this paperwork, the form that you fill out for the background check to purchase a firearm, it's not just you put your name, your social security number down, your driver's license number, and your address, and you call it a day. There's a series of questions that you have to answer. If you answer any of those falsely, the FBI is seeing this. Yeah. We already know that they use Facebook to figure out everything in your life that's going on from this day to that day. I mean, hell, foreign governments even watch our, watch social media. So you, you, you're going to sit there and tell me that they can't figure out everything you've ever done in your entire life from your social security number and your driver's license number? Well, and I think what a lot of people don't understand is kind of what you were just laying out is it's, this is not a five-minute process. At no, all. it's not. I've never been convicted of any crime in my life. I've had a few speeding tickets here and there. I've been in a couple car accidents, you know, one of which was my fault. I took the whole blame. Even when the cops got there, I told them it was my fault. I failed to control my car. Mm-hmm. You know, this is all me. And accidents that were not my fault. I rear-ended somebody and went to court and everything, and it was found. I was that 1% where it was not my fault. Right. You know, but... And those are rare I have, in seven years of honorable military service in the National Guard, I was just showing you my medals earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm still currently serving. I'm on my second six-year contract. And there has been times I have sat in Cabela's or other local gun stores for hours. But there's also been times where I, it was like 10 minutes after I handed them the paperwork and they punched it into the system and sent it out to, you know, the police department and the FBI. And 10 minutes later, hey, he's green. He's a go. Let yeah. it go. So the, really the, the background checks are done pretty randomly as far as to the extent. Now, that being said it re-updates that about every 10 to 15 minutes. It'll select somebody randomly mm-hmm. just off the list that just put their information in, and you got to think, this is out of the country. Yeah. Every 10 to 15 minutes. So if you really break that down to how many, I mean, if you think about it, a couple of years ago on Black Friday, America alone bought enough firearms on Black Friday to arm the entire Marine Corps. Wow. Okay, so... If you think about that, every 10 to 15 minutes, the system was updating and snatching somebody out of that list and making them wait, you know, anywhere from two hours to three days. And one thing we didn't hear about when that was going on or when COVID was, or the lockdowns were going on, is we did not even hear about those systems crashing or any issues with the systems because our gun purchases went up. Mm -hmm. There was no, I mean, and especially if, you know, we're going to have our systems that are doing these background checks. If there was any serious problems because it was the system was being overwhelmed, we would have heard about it. And, and but then again, too, there's always always that chance because it's just how government works. Sometimes is we may not have heard about it, but did. But regardless of is the fact that the, with the hot button topics right now, whether it be gun control, the police shootings, or the mass shootings, if there was an issue with the background checks, the uh, the political left would have pointed that out. Oh, absolutely. They would have 100% immediately. And I'm I'm very much non-biased. I agree with the philosophy of as long as with what you got going on doesn't fuck with what I got going on, you do you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as you're not impeding in my life, I ain't got a problem with you. I ain't got a problem with you, man. Yep. You know, don't don't try to come knocking on my door saying that you're going to take my weapons. 
Yep. You know, don't come knocking on my door telling me I can't go fishing anymore. Don't don't tell me I can't go hunting. Don't tell me I can't go to work because a couple thousand people are afraid of a virus. Right. You know, okay, great. A lot of people, and there are some good people who really lost their jobs and fell on hard times during this whole virus scenario, and I feel for them, and it sucks, but I haven't had a day off. Yeah. I mean, a couple months into the virus, I got COVID deployed. I was gone for five months. Makes sense. Granted, the money was great. I was making more doing that. But let's let's look at this. I'm not going to go into details where I was, what I was doing, but the facility that we was assisting, uh, we were assisting because they didn't have the proper manpower for the facility to operate. All right. And which made the facility dangerous. Makes sense. So they brought in some, I think, total of 143 guardsmen, 144, something like that, and they split them up between the shifts. That was happening in multiple states, too. And it was. It was actually happening across the state of Indiana. It happened across the state of Ohio and several other neighboring states, too. And I think there were a few over on the uh, west coast and the southern borders as well. You know, you mentioned a little bit ago about how you didn't want somebody to come up on your door and knock on and say, you know, we're going to seize your guns. You know, my dad put something, put it very simply too. He said, if someone was to knock on his door and say, do you own any guns? He would just look at him and simply say, it's none of your business and shut the door. Without probable cause. But see, now that's where you get into, there's a lot of legal mumbo jumbo that the government has put into laws and stuff like that. Good old red flag laws. You know, and him being aggressive like that, that's a red flag. Now all they have to do is go get a warrant, say he gave us this red flag. Any judge with deep enough pockets, if you guess what I'm saying, is going to sign off on that. Yep. And they're going to come in, they're going to attempt to seize your firearms. Well, and you think about this too, is the left in particular, they are very good with manipulating language. Absolutely. That's part, of, that's part of their philosophy. Their favorite thing their favorite thing to yell is you're racist because you don't 100% agree with them. Yeah, or right, I, I mean, was... and, and they repeat themselves by saying you're a racist or a white supremacist, but they don't understand. Those are the two same fucking things. They don't understand that everything there's literally a gas station cannot be racist. Now, I, I math cannot be racist. I don't agree with as far as um, racism is the same as a white supremacist. Yes, a white supremacist is inherently racist, but at the same time, a, a white supremacist is something that you would call a white person who is racist. I wouldn't call a black guy who hates Mexicans across the board a white supremacist and what's so wild is that's happening that he's racist yeah that's happening you too know, as i've seen or if you know i or if a mexican was hating on white people i wouldn't call him a white supremacist i would say he's a racist it doesn't make sense when they do that white supremacy was started with the ku klux klan it has lived on through um prisons with certain gangs and gang affiliation um you know but i i I no longer really 100% associate white supremacy with inherent racism as much as I do with gang activity. Yeah. Um, Because most people who are of true white supremacy carry certain symbols on their bodies. They're very easy to identify. Absolutely. And with that being said, to me, racism in a whole and white supremacy as a whole are just two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. And see, that's this is another problem I think that lies in with trying to define those nowadays is people aren't really willing to sit down and have a conversation about that because it makes them uncomfortable. Well, that's the fucking point. You're supposed to be uncomfortable because you're not going to learn anything when you're in constant comfort. 
Yeah, no, you're not. You know, and that's, I think that's a lot of reasons why I've chosen the jobs over my adult life that I have chosen between military, correctional officer, um, many other jobs that I've done that are, most people would be extremely uncomfortable being around 250 inmates, most of them murderers, never going to see the light of day outside those walls. Yep again in their life and they don't care if you go home or not if you rub them the wrong way guess what they're gonna stab you to death what are they gonna do throw them in a segregation cell for what a have year, they got to lose and then they're gonna go right back into public population or the population and they're gonna get their tv back they're gonna get their um snacks and lickies and chewies and stuff like that yep. you know so to, to, to them your your life truly does not matter to them because they don't have a life anymore so it's almost an equal home, ground to where you know, in their mind, because of where they are, they know that because they have nothing, it's almost like their lives don't matter. And then they look at somebody else and say, okay, well, it's it, it's a very – it's a form of nihilism that these – you know, they get spiteful. And they end, a lot of them – some of them come out even really hating the world, and that's something that we see with these mass shooters is, you know, the Columbine kids, for example. If you – like, you know, their writings, particularly, that you could just tell that there was depression in there. And then, you know, and I think it was Eric Harris's writings. He deeply, deeply, deeply hated people. He deeply hated humanity. You know, and a lot of people don't know that they weren't just intending on what happened at Columbine. It was they were wanting it to be much bigger. And, you know, kids who dressed like me back in that day where, you know, we wore the black, we wore the long coats and all that. We were immediately in school looked at with suspicion. Because of what happened in Columbine. And that lasted for years after that happened. And people, you know, that was, I think that was America's wake-up call. Because I mean, mass shootings had happened before that. But Columbine in particular was the wake-up call that something was deeply wrong. But what everybody missed is the actual human element to it. They wanted to blame the guns. They wanted to blame the music. They wanted to blame this. And this is still happening today where these things happen and you're seeing this blamed and that blamed or they don't have this or they don't have that. Well, that's a lot of that in a lot of ways is just superficial. If you don't really dig deep into somebody's psyche, you're not going to know how they think or why they want to do what they do or why they even decided to pick up the gun to go do – and you know. To commit mass carnage for no fucking reason. Well, and that's another thing that um, what's his name? Is it Dante Wright? The one that the the, the, one the young man that drove the white vehicle who was accidentally quotations accidentally shot by the yeah I believe officer. that was the name. We could fact check that though. Um, the one that just happened recently, I think. And there was matter of fact, there was this uh, just just yesterday there was a shooting, yeah. police shooting in Ohio. With the girls? Yeah, Dante Wright. Dante Wright, okay. April 11th, 2021. You know, and, and a lot of people are, you know, screaming for murder charges for this officer. And to an extent, I do uh, agree. Um, but I think what a lot of people are forgetting is that in paramilitary, so police, SWAT, FBI, CIA, anything that is not labeled military, mm -hmm. Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, Coast Guard. The ATF. You know, that, that, that's all what you would consider paramilitary. They operate yeah. in similar ways that the military does, and thus they carry guns, they move in formations, 
certain communicate, yeah. some vehicles, certain trainings, that they're a paramilitary group. Right. Um, so there's a chain of command there that... A hierarchy. Yeah, that, that everybody follows up, like for me. You know, I'm a corporal, I'm a team leader, getting ready to be promoted to sergeant, which then I will take over a squad leader position. Mm -hmm. So instead of leading uh, two to three people, I'll be leading six to seven people. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, my guys do not, when they have an issue, they will get with their team leader. That team leader will then come to me. I will then take that issue up to the platoon sergeant. The platoon sergeant will then take it up with the platoon leader, which is the lieutenant. Mm -hmm. And then the lieutenant will push it up the line. Yeah. You know, from there. And it just goes all, until it reaches, until it finally gets resolved. And sometimes that could go all the way up to your battalion commander before it gets resolved. Or sometimes I can squash it right there at the squad level. Depends on the level of what's going on. But with that being said, there's SOPs mm -hmm. to follow that chain of command. Now tell us what SOPs are. Uh, standard order of operations. So what that is, is an SOP is a standard way, whether it's how your gear is set up, on your kit, your vest, and everything. Mm -hmm. Like for my squad, everybody in my squad, their IFAC improved first aid kit is to be on the left side of their vest. Right. Their canteen is to be on the right side of the vest. They're to have three double mag pouches across the front, and then their flashbangs and everything else up here. And see that right there, too, the way the now, gear positioning is the issue with that one officer. Exactly. That's where I was going. Now, it, for the last 20 years, or so, uh, was the last time an incident like this had happened. Now, it may have been longer. I'm not 100%. I haven't really looked into it, but I was talking to a buddy of mine who used to be a cop. Um, he's actually ex-INPD. He was K-9. He's worked in SWAT in Tennessee for a couple years. He, he's a bad dude. Um, and I was kind of talking to him because I was kind of mixed on how I felt. Like, I felt like I don't think the blame lays solely on the officer. I think the blame could be pushed up the chain of command because I feel like there were, I was feeling like there were some balls dropped. Somebody I, could have called, hey, what are you doing with your gear right there on your belt? Somebody could have said something to her, you know, or somebody should have been noticing her. And she'd been on the force for 19 years. Exactly. So somebody should have been noticing little trends and stuff that she mm -hmm. does that maybe think, you know, maybe she's not cut out for this. How has she made it this long? Because just with him getting into the car, he didn't really strike any of the officers. He didn't reach for a weapon or anything like that to really put them in a life or death situation to really need to use force like that. He wasn't swinging, physically fighting. He was just trying to get away. Mm -hmm. So in that, it, it, it shouldn't be a fight or flight scenario right there for the officer, like the male officer. I mean, and maybe it was just because he was more confident because he was considerably bigger than Dante Wright. Right. He's probably been in a million scenarios like that where he has manhandled people to the ground, body slammed them and everything else, put the cuffs on and put them back in the car. Oh, I'm sure there has been. You know, so he was more, you could tell his demeanor and just his stance when everything popped off. He was still more relaxed. You could tell in his head, okay, I still have control. I still have control. I still have control. And it was almost at a point where you could almost see him like look over and it's like he sees the firearm in her hand. And it's about time that she yells, taser, 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 that you can almost see him kind of step outside and look back. And you see, like, him almost make eye contact with the weapon. And right. he just kind of throws himself back, you know. So I think there was a realization in his head that doesn't look like a taser. Yeah, I, can't, I couldn't blame him either, especially you know, if you're, I mean, your adrenaline's going to be going at that point anyway. But you're going to see something. Going back to the SOPs, so back to the your base vest setup. Um, 
you know, when this incident happened several years ago, we'll say, you know, between somewhere between 20 and 30 years ago, um, it became a standard SOP across the nation in all police departments that your taser had to be mounted in a cross draw formation opposite of your lethal weapon mm -hmm. to prevent that from happening again because going you know being a right-handed person for me to have to reach across and grab my taser is an intentional movement to go across my body to the other opposite hip and draw said taser and then come across mm -hmm. or if they mounted it to their chest that is still an intentional movement that you have to conscientiously make that it's going to be to very visible too to the people versus you. on your hip that you're used to drawing from all the time at the range and stuff that is more natural and fluent so maybe they should do something where you know maybe this will satisfy both sides to where hey all of our mayors across the world because our mayors run the police you know it, it's the same setup as if you go with um a military unit you know Every unit represents a city. Yep. Right? Every city has a mayor. And so underneath that you have, military, you've got the militia, too, that could also... Right. Well, you have problems within the police department itself with just your your standard patrol guys, right? right? So they, they have their problems. Well, they're going to go to their corporal. Their corporal's going to go to their sergeant. Their sergeant's going to go to the lieutenant. And the lieutenant's going to go all the way up to the chief of police and or captain. Mm -hmm. Right? And then if they can't squash it there... And get it figured out there. Who's the next in line? It has to be the mayor. It's the mayor. Yep. Right? So why... We are putting the blame on the people on the job. Now, whether she initially truly meant to grab for her taser. And just the adrenaline rush. The taser feel... In that moment, a taser, especially ones they use, is going to feel very similar to their weapon. Mm. So to her... When she grabbed back here, it felt like the taser. She's, you know, a tunnel vision. She's got eyes on her target. She's yelling out what she's supposed to be yelling. She gets close enough to where she knows she's going to hit her target. And then she squeezes. And you can, like, see the recoil on the weapon. And you can almost see, like, her, just from her arm, her whole body just tense. Yeah. And then she immediately puts the weapon back. And goes to reach for him to get him out of the car to give him aid, but he drives off. See, so, that's what's going to be interesting to see if that comes out in court. Why Why are we not... Why are we going on a witch hunt for just the offers? Now, I'm saying... I'm not saying that she was in the right. I'm not saying she was in the wrong. Because mm. the bottom line... Mr. Wright, now, God rest his soul, everything else. He was a young man. He didn't deserve to die. Regardless of whatever, whatever warrant he had out for his arrest. It's a tragedy on both ends. He didn't deserve it. But he got out of the car like the officers asked him. He had his hands behind his back like the officers asked him. And then at some point in time, like a flip of a switch, he decided to resist and run. Something went through his head. Something went... Now, maybe he was on drugs. Yeah. Maybe he was fearful for all the bullcrap that the media is putting out about all cops are bad, all cops are this, you know everything else and he just decided well i'm better off if i just try to run and get away because what if these guys take me out back and beat on me yeah that's you know? very, very true he, he does he doesn't know so i get him being a young man he knows he's got a warrant 
He, he knows in his head what the warrant is for because he did it. Right. You know? So, to him, I could see his fear build up, and he went into fight or flight, and he tried to flee. And that's that's the wild and thing about that mechanism. What, it, fl- it flips like that. It, and that's what spiked the situation. Mm-hmm. That one moment. Had he have continued to comply and just got taken in, like, I mean, everything was... He would still be here. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. You, you cannot deny that. He would still be here. He would still be alive. His parents could still see him. Yep. You know... Now, he might be doing some time in jail, because I, I don't know what the warrant was for. I'm just aware that he had a warrant. I want, I want, I want to say that it was a illegal possession of a firearm. I, this is what I want to say, is what I want. And I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And, you know, just recently, that um, the 13-year-old that was killed in Chicago. The, the vi- I, I didn't watch the entire video of that, because quite honestly, I don't want to watch a 13-year-old get killed over and over again. But... Well, he ran, and he was with a 21-year-old, and when the cop was chasing him, and this is what I did see, what I did watch, is right before the shots were fired, he he did have a weapon, he did have a pistol in his hand, but before he turned, he actually was able to drop the pistol. The cop, the cop obviously didn't see it in time, and, and fired. Well, you also gotta think, um, but the when cop you make a conscientious decision to pull a trigger... On a living being, and a split-second decision for your life like that—that that point two seconds it took that young man to flip the weapon wherever he flipped it. Yep. The cop had already seen the gun. His gun was already drawn. He was already squeezing the trigger. Had to, yeah. By the time that weapon hit the now, by the time I that know gun was dropped. in the in videos and everything else. And just in movies, these scenarios seem like they happen slower than they really do. Well, but adrenaline does that to you too. It messes with your perception. When you put it, when it's actually happening, it's a lot faster than you think. It, yeah. So you have to think. In the point two seconds, it took that thirteen-year-old to flip his gun out in a position that the officer seen it with his gun already drawn. Because he's seen him reaching, so he drew his gun. And it's not exactly clear that the officer knew that he dropped the weapon. You know, so his gun's already out, and it's on target. He's aiming. Yep. He's ready to go. If he was to point that gun at him, he's shooting. He sees the gun in his hand. At that second, the officer decided, I'm going home tonight. Mm-hmm. And he shot. That officer has no clue who that kid is. He didn't know he was 13. Well, and there's also the factor of, with everything that's been happening, with the police getting assassinated at random... That officer also doesn't know, is this kid going to turn around and he's, is he going to shoot me? Am I going to get to go home tonight? You know, and when that officer realized what had happened, he went, immediately went over and started giving CPR to the kid. And he was sobbing. But within that 2.5 seconds, that officer's life has changed forever. And it's not just him going to jail. It's the, psych, it's the psyche. He had to shoot a kid. Yeah. You know, and, and I've seen a lot of arguments on Facebook. Well, he didn't have to. He didn't have to. And I think that's the key aspect that everybody forgets. In the moment he seen the weapon, the officer's gun was already drawn because he seen the kid grabbing for something. Mm-hmm. Now, should the officer maybe just grab his taser? 
He was close enough. He could have used a taser. He could have. He could have drilled his taser and, you know, thought, you know, I have a vest on. I have plates in my vest. This is a bigger target than my head mm-hmm. or my legs. But I can survive a shot in the leg. I can survive a shot in the arm. I don't think I'm going to get clipped in the head by this person. And it's no way to, and, we know, and the officer may not have known how good of a shot that kid was. So am I saying that he should have used his taser? Maybe. I wasn't there. I didn't feel the adrenaline rush going to the officer. Yep. I didn't see the young man's behavior before the pursuit yep. started. You know, I, I wasn't there to see it and feel the energy of the situation. And they knew there was gunfire between these two that was, you know, that's why the residents called, is they were hearing gunshots. And that's why the police were called. Okay, so right then and there, the police go in. They're aware of why they're being called there. They're not getting a call from the dispatch saying, hey, go over here to this location and look for two people. Mm-hmm. No. Okay, there's been reports of gunfire by several people at this location. Can you go there? Check it out. Yep. Right? Okay, so you're already on high That's alert. immediate adrenaline rush. You're, talk- like you're talking about well, maybe you a priority you just got told one. to go look at a situation where you know that there's guns in a neighborhood that doesn't particularly like cops. Yeah. So you're immediately, you're already on edge, your adrenaline's already pumping, your heart's already racing. Not to mention Chicago's already a killing field with gangs the way it is anyway. You're you're already ready for everything. So I think instinctively he drew his gun because of the situation at hand. We're looking, at, already a, been... we're looking at a very different environment than what we would here in Indiana. Because yeah. we don't have a gang problem like they do in Chicago. That's just not as bad. Not, not as bad. There's no way. No. Yeah, I agree. It's here, but it's not as bad. Right. The, the gangs here are like the old middle school gangs that would run around stealing people's bicycles. Mm-hmm. Okay? Compared to like Chicago and other parts of the world, not just this country, but the world, the gangs here in Indiana are like the middle school gangs that are stealing bicycles. And that's not to say the gangs in here in Indiana aren't dangerous, but there's a different level of danger in Chicago than there would be here in Indiana. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's one of those things too, is every every time, every time, these these police shootings happen. These mass shootings happen. What's the one thing we hear? Gun control. We got to take guns. Well, here's the thing: is you know a lot of people don't understand what the a well-regulated militia is, nor do they understand what "do not infringe" means. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain what the militia is, but it's not going to be my words. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the Federalist Paper number twenty-nine. That was written in on January 10th of 1788 by Alexander Hamilton. Around this time, our founding fathers were ratifying the Constitution. And what this paper does is it explains why we need the Second Amendment and what the militia is. And it's, you know, we, and that around that time, we had just come out of the Revolutionary War, just a few years before this. We seen, our founders seen, and the colonists also seen, and felt what it was like to live under tyrants. And this is what Alexander Hamilton had to say. To the people of the state of New York, the power of regulating the militia and of commanding its services in times of insurrection and invasion are natural incidents to the duties of superintending the common defense and of watching over the internal peace of the Confederacy. It requires no skill in the science of war to discern that uniformity in the organization and discipline of the militia would be attended with the most beneficial effects. Whenever they are called into service for public defense, it would enable them to discharge the duties of the camp and of the field with mutual intelligence 
and concert and an advantage of particular moment in the operations of an army, and it would fit them much sooner to require the degree of proficiency in the military functions which would be essential to their usefulness. This desirable uniformity can only be accomplished by confiding the regulation of the militia to the direction of the national authority. It is, therefore, with the most evident propriety that the plan of the convention proposes the empower of the Union to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of the officers and the authority of the training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. Of the different grounds which have been taken in opposition to the plan of the convention, there is none that was so little to have been expected or is so untenable in itself as the one from which this particular provision has been attacked. If a well-regulated militia would be the most natural defense of a free country, it ought certainly to be under the regulation and at the disposal of the body which is constituted the guardian of the national security. If standing armies are dangerous to liberty and a facious power over the militia in the body to whose care the protection of the states is committed ought as far possible to take away the inducement and, pre and the pretext to such unfriendly institutions. If the federal government can, can command an aid of the militia in those emergencies which call for military arm and the support of the civil magistrate, it can be better dispensed with the employment of a different kind of force. If it cannot avail itself of the former, it will be obliged to recur to the latter. To render an army unnecessary will be a more certain method of preventing its existence than a thousand prohibitions upon paper. In order to cast an odium upon the power of calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, it has been remarked that there is nowhere any provision in the proposed Constitution for calling out the posse comiatus, I think that's how you say that, to assist the magistrate in the execution of his duty, whence it has been inferred that the military force was intended to be his only auxiliary. There is a striking incoherence in the objections which have appeared, and sometimes even from the same quarter, not much calculated to inspire a very favorable opinion of the sincerity or fair dealing of their authors. The same persons who tell us in one breath that the powers of the federal government will be despotic and unlimited inform us in the next that it has not authority sufficient even to call out the posse comiatus. The latter, fortunately, is as much short of the truth as the former exceeds it. It would be as absurd to doubt that a right to pass all laws necessary and proper to execute its declared powers would include that of requiring the assistance of citizens to the officers who may be entrusted with the execution of those laws. It would be, it would be to believe that a right to enact laws necessary and proper for the imposition and collection of taxes, which would involve that of varying rules of decent descent and of the alienation of land and property, or of abolishing the trial by jury in cases relating to it. It being therefore evident that the supposition of a want of power to require the aid of posse comiatus is entirely destitute of color. It will follow that the conclusion which has been drawn from it in its application of the authority of the federal government over the militia is as uncandid as it is uh, illogical. What reason could there be to infer that force was intended to be the sole instrument of authority merely because there is a power to make it use of it when necessary? What shall we think of the motives which could induce men of sense to reason in this manner? 
How shall we prevent a conflict between charity and judgment? A, by, curious, by a curious refinement upon the spirit of republican jealousy, we are even taught to apprehend danger from the militia itself in the hands of the federal government. It is observed that the select corps may be formed composed of the young and ardent who may be rendered subservient to the views of the arbitrary power. What plan for the regulation of the militia may be pursued by the national government is impossible to be foreseen. But so far from viewing the matter in the light, same light with those who object to select corps are dangerous. Were the Constitution ratified, and I were to deliver my sentiments of the member of the federal legislator from this state on the subject of the militia establishment, I should hold him in substance to the following discourse. The project of disciplining all the militia of the United States is as futile as it would be injurious if it were capable of being carried into execution. A tolerable expertness in military movements is a business that requires time and practice. It is not a day or even a week that will suffice for the attainment of it. To oblige the great body of the Yarmanry, I think that's how he says it, and the other classes of the citizens to be under arms for the purpose of going through military exercises and evolutions, as often as it as might be necessary to acquire the degree of perfection which would entitle them to the character of a well-regulated militia, would be a real grievance to the people and serious public inconvenience and loss. It would form an annual deduction from the productive labor of the country to an amount which, calculating upon the present numbers of the people, would not fall short of the whole expense of the civil establishments of all the states. To attempt a thing would be abridge the mass of labor and made industry so considerable to an extent would be unwise, and the experiment, if made, could not succeed because it would no long be, not long be endured. Little more can be reasonably aimed at with respect to the people at large than to have them properly armed and equipped, and in order to see that this is not neglected, it, would be ne it will be necessary to assemble them once or twice in the course of a year. But through the scheme of discipline, the whole nation must be abandoned as mischievous or impractical, yet it is a matter of the utmost importance that a well-digested plan should, and as soon as possible, be adopted for the proper establishment of the militia. The attention of the government ought to particularly be directed to the formation of a selected corps of moderate extent, such upon upon such principles as re, as will really fit them for service in case of need. By thus circumscribing the plan, it will be possible to have an excellent body, a well-trained militia, ready to take the field whenever the defense of the state shall require it. It this will not only lessen the call for military establishments. But if circumstances should be at any time obliged the government to form an army of any magnitude, that army can never be formidable to the liberties of the people, while there is a large body of citizens, little if at all, inferior to them in discipline and the use of arms, who stand ready to defend their own rights and those of their fellow citizens. This appears to me the only substitute that can be devised for a standing army and the best possible security against it, if it should exist." Thus, differently from the adversaries of the proposed Constitution, should I reason the same subject, deducing arguments of safety from the very sources of which they represent a fraught with danger and perdition. But how the national legislator may reason on the point is a thing which neither, neither they nor I can foresee. There is something so far-fetched and so extravagant in the idea of danger to liberty from the militia that one is at a loss whether to treat it with a gravity or with raillery, whether to consider it a mere trial of skill, like the paradoxes of rhetoricians, as a disingenuous artifice to instill prejudice at any price, or as a serious offspring of political fanaticism. 
where in the name of common sense are our fears to end if we may not trust our sons, our brothers, our neighbors, and our fellow citizens. The shadow of danger can there be from men who are daily mingling with the rest of their countrymen and who participate with them in the same feelings, sentiments, habits, and interests. What reasonable cause of apprehension can be inferred from a power in the Union to prescribe regulations for the militia and to command its services when necessary, while the particular states are, are to have the sole and exclusive appointment of the officers? If it were possible to seriously indulge a, a jealousy of the militia, Upon any conceivable establishment under the federal government, the circumstance of the officers being in the appointment of the states ought at once to be extinguish it. There can be no doubt that, th that this circumstance will always secure to them a preponderating influence over the militia. In reading many of the publications against the Constitution, a man is apt to imagine that he is pursuing some ill-written tale or romance, which instead of natural or agreeable images, exhibits to the mind nothing but frightful and distorted shapes, gorgons, hydras, and chimeras dire, discoloring and disfiguring whatever it represents and transforming everything it touches into a monster. A sample of this is to be observed in the exaggerated and improbable suggestions which have taken place respecting the power of calling for the service of the militia. That of New Hampshire is to be marched to Georgia, of Georgia to New Hampshire, of New York to Kentucky, and of Kentucky to Lake Champlain. Nay, the debts due to the French and the Dutch are to be paid in the militiamen instead of Louis d'Or's or Ducats. I think that's how that French word is pronounced. At one moment, there is to be a large army to lay prostrate the liberties of the people. At another moment, the militia of Virginia are to be dragged from their homes five or six hundred miles to tame the Republican contumacy of Massachusetts, and that of Massachusetts is to be transported to equal distance to subdue the refractory hotness of the aristocratic Virginians. Do the persons who rave at this rate imagine that their art, their art or their eloquence can impose any conceits or absurdities upon the people of America for infallible truths? If there should be an army to be made use of as the engine of despotism, what need of the militia? If there should be no army, whether it would be the militia or irritated by being called upon to undertake a distant and hopeless expedition. For the purpose of riveting the chains of slavery upon a part of their countrymen, direct their course, but to the seat of tyrants who had meditated so foolishly, as well as so wicked a project to crush them in their imagined entrenchments of power, and to make them an example of the just vengeance of an abused and incensed people? Is this the way in which usurpers stride to, to dominion over a numerous and enlightened nation? Do they begin by exciting the destation of the very instruments of their intended usurpations? Do they usually commence their career by wanton and disgustful acts of power, calculated to answer no end, but to draw upon themselves universal hatred and execration? Are suppositions of this sort the sober admonitions of discerning patriots to a discerning people? Or are they inflammatory ravings of incendiaries and distempered enthusiasts? If we were even to suppose the national, national rulers exceeded by the most ungovernable ambition, it is impossible to believe that they would employ such a preposterous means to accomplish their designs. In times of interaction or invasion, it would be natural and proper that the militia of a neighboring state should be marched into another to resist a common enemy or to guard the republic against the violence of faction or sedition. This was frequently the case in respect to the first object in the course of the late war, and in this mutual succor is indeed a principle to end of our political association. 
If the power of affording it to be placed upon the direction of the Union, there will be no danger of a supine and listless inattention to the dangers of a neighbor, till it is nearer approach that superated the incitements of self-preservation to the feeble impulses of duty and sympathy. The militia wasn't just to protect us against foreign enemies. The militia was designed to put down any faction that might try to overthrow the United States from within. Yeah, it's all enemies, foreign and domestic. It's the same oath you take when you swear into the military. You swear to protect the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Yep, and you know, I may have not have pronounced everything right, and I might have slurred a little bit because of my teeth. But if anybody is curious more so about what I just read... Go to Google and type in Federalist Paper 29. That will tell you what a well-regulated militia means. And if you all, and if you want to read it while I read while I read it in this audio, you're more than welcome to. But people, you have got to understand why we have got a Second Amendment. We are in a this, the Democratic Party is hell bent on taking our weapons, and historically, and it doesn't matter which nation this has been. Any government that takes the weapons of their people does not end well because the people cannot fight back. And if you want a recent example of what happens when a citizenry is not able to fight back against a tyrannical government, look at China. China is the most recent example that we have of what happens when a government takes absolute power. Power corrupts, and I think the the at the level that absolute power corrupts, I think is vastly underestimated. Well, back back to the gun thing. A lot of people are just focusing on the tool that yep. is being used. Um, the whole time we've been doing this podcast, I have had. My AR-15 that I have specifically set up for coyote hunting, um, and my bolt action rifle that is set up for coyote hunting. None of these rifles, I have several that are set up for tactical use, um, just for going out with friends, target flanking, stuff like that. But these two rifles aren't set up to really do any harm as far as like mass shootings or anything mm-hmm. but they've been sitting here this whole time and if you hear our tone of our voices we're very calm and very chill and it's not just because we've been around guns most of our lives we know what these things are capable of but we also know what we are capable of we have more control over ourselves and this is the issue is they're focusing on the media in particular especially you know media now is the propaganda wing of the Democratic Party. And they're getting their talking points from the Democrats. What It doesn't matter what kind of gun it is, I've got an, at least a six-inch blade on me right now. These are tools. But what matters is the human element of which controls those tools. Absolutely. I mean, you can take the guns away from the people. If that's where you wanted to start, but... 
You know, come from somebody who worked inside of a correctional facility with an inmate population of around 2,000. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little less, maybe a little more. And it's one of our federal prisons, correct? No. Oh, okay. It was a state penitentiary. It was a maximum security. I won't tell you where it was, what city it was in, or any other geological ways to identify it. Um... But you had to walk through metal detectors. They sent your backpack, lunchbox. They pat boots. you down. They went through an x-ray machine. They pat you down. You had to walk in front of another machine that sensed metal and stuff. Then occasionally they would have drug dogs because we had canine there. Mm-hmm. We had narcotics officers who would, um, you'd have to sit in a chair and they'd walk the dog around you. You know, see if you had anything on you or in you. Mm-hmm. Um... And yet, out of a population that was controlled behind walls, you still managed to get drugs. Not just pot or tobacco, fentanyl, crack. Serious, heavy drugs, yep. Pills, Adderall. I mean, it... People will always find a way. One thing I've noticed a lot is any criminal, doesn't matter their collar religion, creed, nationality, it does not matter. Most criminals have just about nothing but time on their hands to figure stuff out. You do not underestimate the intelligence that the human mind is capable of. Good criminals have connections. Yep. Good criminals are the ones you worry about, the smart ones, the quiet ones who don't do a lot of talking. I learned this from my time being a correctional officer. Ones that don't do a lot of talking, those are the ones who are getting stuff they ain't Mm -hmm. supposed to be getting. They know they gotta be quiet. They know they gotta be hush hush. That's their livelihood in there. Whether they're spending life for ten years, that's their livelihood. Yep. You know. Would you say that when they enter prison, they're they they come in a certain way, and after they've been there for a while, they become another way? Absolutely. Um, the best way, and this was an inmate who'd been in there for um, gosh, I think he said something around like. 20, 25 years, been locked up in consecutively mm-hmm. um, within the system. He said, because we were talking about military, and I asked him, you know, what kind of changes mentally would being locked up in a maximum security prison as such have on a man? He asked me. You know, we were talking about military. He said, well, imagine it's, in a sense, kind of like a deployment. Every time you turn a corner, every time somebody looks at you weird, or a group of people look at you weird, might be the last time you take a breath. Might be the last thing you ever see. People in here, they don't care. You could owe them a pack of soup. Ramen noodles. One pack, 75, not less than that at the grocery store. It's like 25, 30 cents at the grocery store for one single pack of ramen noodle soup. Cost them 10, 15 cents inside the prison. Let's say you borrow soup from somebody. Right? Football game's on. You want to make some ramen noodle. 
you know, throw right. some little Vienna sausages that you got in there with some of your spices. You get creative. You get creative. You get creative. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, there was times, especially when I worked in there and there was a Super Bowl, that place smelled like a five-star restaurant. Them guys are creative. <laughs> they are. Yes, they are. I will give them that. They are creative. Yep. They're a heck of chefs, too. You could take some of that nasty smelling stuff that they get in there for food that they can buy from the grocery list that they're mm-hmm. allowed to purchase from. And they make it smell like a gourmet meal, and it looks like one too. Wow, you know that's impressive. Regardless really of what they've done, microwave. Regardless of what they've done, that to me that is always impressive. You know, but that's the whole time. Yep, they have nothing but time to figure this out. It's like okay, well, this tastes good. I wonder what it would taste like with this. You can, you know, and that right there is the greatest example of human innovation. Absolutely, um, criminals are. That's the thing, guys. Is criminals are humans too. But he believed in his head that being in prison was, in a sense, a lot like being at war. That when you get out of prison, you're constantly looking over your shoulders. Certain mannerisms and body language of people out in the public would, in fact, initiate an aggressive response. Mm-hmm. Just as a soldier coming back from, you know, during the highest point of Fallujah, coming back from that that war, that battle in Fallujah would have to somebody being aggressive towards him in public, even though he's not in uniform anymore. Right. Because they're not in that jumpsuit anymore. Right. So, in a way, yes, it does. It will change a man to be locked up in facilities like that for an extended period of time. I would say maybe even two years could possibly change him on some level as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, combat changes a man in nine months. Well, my, you know, my cancer battles... I think what cha- I think honestly, the first day that I had chemotherapy or the first surgery I had when I found out what was trying to kill me, that second changed me. Oh yeah. You know, well, we're coming up on an hour, and I think we're going to end up doing a part two on this because uh, there's still some stuff we'd like to touch on because there's a lot to unpack with all these issues. So stay tuned and see you next time.